CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. It's great to have you all with us. If you're listening in real time, it is Friday. We're all getting set for a weekend. Uh, If you're listening in Metro Atlanta, you're getting soaked today. It's been raining nonstop out there. Jim Galloway, what is happening to the weather in this state? Well, uh, tomorrow and Sunday, it's not supposed to rain. That's the good part. Yeah. The bad part is it's going to (laughs) snow. What are we expecting this weekend, weatherman Jim? (laughs) Just lots of pollen. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's Jim Galloway. You know that. He's the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He oversees the Political Insider blog, which posts stories throughout the day and evening at uh, AJC.com. It is not supposed to snow this weekend. Right, right. But it's Uh, supposed to be sunny and sunny. Uh, That's good. We could use that. Um... Sitting right across the table from Mr. Galloway, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, which you can do by going to the GPB news page on Facebook, is Sam Olins, the former attorney general of the state of Georgia, the former longtime chairman of the Cobb County uh, Party of the Cobb County Commission, and uh, now an attorney at the world's largest law firm, Denton's. Hi, Sam. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm looking forward to hearing. We're going to talk Marta at some point, and given your position as former chair of Cobb County, I'm going to be interested in your take on what the vote in Gwinnett means in the long term to people up in Cobb County, and we'll get to that in a little while. Oh, excuse me. Also with us, Michael Thurman, the CEO of DeKalb County. Your credentials, I could, we could spend 10 minutes. You're the former labor commissioner of the state of Georgia. You were the uh, superintendent of schools in DeKalb County. You ran for U.S. Senate in, uh, as a Democratic candidate in 2010. You started your career in politics, to the best of my knowledge, in the state legislature, a representative in Athens. What else do you want me to add? I'm a close and personal friend of Bill Knight. <laughs> <laughs> my truest claim to fame. I do want to add one thing. You're, you're an author. You're fr- you just told me this morning that your first book... A story untold, Black Men and Women in Athens History. It's uh, about to be, be republished for the third edition. will be out in April. It's being published by the Athens Historical Society. And you have a third book that you're preparing for publication, which is about? James Oglethorpe, the father of Georgia, who is also, in my understanding, based on my research, the first abolitionist. All right. Well, this is, you know, people don't know this, that Thurman is, in fact, a historian. So we'll look forward. I, I, I've got an autographed copy of what? Freedom? Freedom. Yep. Yeah. Okay, great. Yep. Well, we'll as you get closer, we'll talk as the republication is the third edition of the first book, as you get set with the Oglethorpe book. We'll have you in. We'll do a show with you. Well, thank you. Yep. Politics is my day job, but I truly love <laughs> research and writing. I'm a true nerd. Donna knows it. That's what I was going to say. I, I think I have a copy, too. I'm sorry, Bill, you didn't know this. The, I feel no. like the rest of us did. But, yeah, he's quite an historian. Oh, that's Donna Lowry. She, of course, <laughs> now she is, she is currently the uh, lawmaker's correspondent at the state capitol and doing a great job down Thank there. Thank you. Thank but, you. But you also know Donna Lowry if you live in North Georgia from her years as the education years. reporter at 11 Alive. How many? You won like I seven, was... <laughs> eight Emmy Awards? <laughs> seven. But, uh, you know. The main thing is that I, I had a chance to spend 30 years at 11 Alive and talk a lot about education. So Boy, that was great. That's, wow. And 30 great. years at 30 11 years. Alive feels yeah. like 50. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you know? <laughs> All right. All right. Enough fooling around. Uh, we should get down to business. Uh, let's talk. Uh, yesterday, the uh, Senate uh, looked at, in committee, looked at this, uh, what they call the fetal heartbeat abortion bill. Donna, you were down there. Let me start by asking you to set the stage. Renee Unterman chaired the Science and Technology Committee where the bill was assigned. And uh, 
the the Capitol was mobbed with people on both sides of the issue. Yeah, absolutely, very emotional. Very each side, you could uh, really see clearly the people who hung with the ladies who were in the costumes from the Handmaid's Tale book and show were all together. But you also had an you had clergy. You had um, a lot of emotional people who were in favor of these bills. Uh, this started off in this science and technology committee hearing, which was kind of interesting that it was there and not in health and human services. But we understand that's because of Senator Unterman, who apparently for 15 years has, has pushed for something dealing with abortion. At any rate, so you, you the first person to testify was a 13-year-old girl who basically did it, was st- cried, had an, an emotional essay about uh, against uh, abortion. And uh, that kind of set the tone for things for that one-hour session, um, and of course, this is all after the uh, representative Seltzer presented the bill. Um, interesting, there. I, I should back up and talk a little bit about that. We found out that uh, now that women can now be, um, when you, when you're pregnant, you can now ask for child some support. child support. Yeah. yeah. Child support on that. So that was something different in the bill. On the other side, you had people like obstetricians, some nursing students and medical students who are totally against this and worry about the liability that might be involved if this goes through. And um, Senator Jen Jordan really gave them, um, you know, really pushed some of the issues with Representative Seltzer on this issue. Yeah, the Democratic yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, senator from uh, Atlanta and nor- in a northern environment. Um, yeah. right, there, there, there are kind of two issues with this bill. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, both are, are, are kind of volatile here. There's the first, the, 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 the heartbeat aspect, which is basically... Uh, any abortion has to be uh, be performed uh, before the six week mark. Uh, often before, before the a, heartbeat is detected, right? Yeah, which right. is typically which is often, at six weeks. Which is often often yeah. almost usually uh, before a woman even knows she is pregnant. Right. Okay. Then there is there, then there is the fact that this bill is actually combined many as, aspects of of kind of the the, the right to life personhood uh, uh, effort to 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 give full human. The, the the full citizenship rights, I should say, to a fetus, to, to a fetus, to a to a, a fetus that's that's basic that has a heartbeat. Yeah, which includes, as Donna pointed out, they've added to the measure, which yeah. is interesting. This notion that uh, a mother at six, once the heartbeat is detected, can in fact uh, ask for child support from the father of of the uh, uh, fetus. And then there's a third aspect and, here. Okay, and that is that is that is the enforcement. Right. And and that's uh, that's been altered in the original version uh, written by by Ed Setzler. Uh, uh, all law enforcement agencies in the state uh, would would have had access to all to to any health records uh, kept by a physician or a hospital. That has been somewhat restricted, but not completely restricted in in, in a rewrite of it. Uh, what's more, the new Senate version uh, would give a would give a prosecutor the right. To pursue a woman who goes across state lines to pursue an abortion. Right. Uh, so uh, the new version says district attorneys only, and not everybody has access to those records, which was uh, pretty scary for a lot of people. Um, Sam and Michael, there, there are so many threads to pick up here. Uh, let me start with uh, one of the first things that um, Donna mentioned, which is this bill ended up in a sort of a strange committee. You would have expected it to be in health, but Sam, it went to. Renee Unterman in uh, the Science and Technology Committee. Maybe for one reason, as Donna points out, Renee Unterman has been a longtime champion of the uh, pro-life movement as a member of the legislature. Uh, But also you have to imagine that the senators liked the idea that a woman would chair a committee which is going to deal with an issue as sensitive as this for women. Well, and the chair of health is a medical doctor, and I'm sure that was part of the... Yeah. Process also, um, I, I personally thought the more interesting part was Stacey Abrams' comment recently, which is that the business community has been amazingly quiet about this legislation. Which is true. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so, Michael, that is interesting. I mean, the, the business community is quick to jump in on issues like RIFRA, which they think may be uh, harmful to the state's image out in the larger business world. Uh, there are an awful lot of people who think that passing one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the uh, country 
could also do damage to the reputation of the state, to companies wanting to relocate in Georgia. But the business community has been silent on this. Clearly, this is a highly emotional issue from a moral, religious perspective from both sides of women's right to choose. But the politics writ large, this is a crossing of the political Rubicon for the Republican Party. No way back from this. And for those moderate Republican leaders who sought to steer clear of these hot-butting social issues, uh, realizing that Georgia is a changing, evolving state, this, just on the politics of it, is not good news for the Republican Party in the state of Georgia. A Republican Party that suffered in the suburbs with educated uh, white women, this does not bode well going forward. And... I was looking and following, looking closely at Speaker Ralston. He was not happy with this. There was no joy in Muttville with this bill. Well, but let's point out the Senate now has the bill because the House passed it. Uh, well, but he was in a position where he may not have been in a position to stop it. Give yeah. him credit. Previously, in previous sessions, he has been able to ball it up and, you know, at least keep it in committee or keep it from being introduced. This changes the game politically in our state, and I submit and suggest that it's going to have long-term ramifications from a political perspective beyond the moral and religious issues. Yeah, he was—Ralston uh, was kind of—once uh, 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 Governor Brian Kemp uh, ditched his bill— uh, uh, which which would not have affected the, the status quo and endorsed uh, endorsed uh, 481 the the heartbeat bill, then uh, he, he was not in a position to stop that. Donna, I'm interested in another thing that happened in this committee yesterday. Chairwoman Unterman did not take a vote right. to pass the bill out of committee. She said, I believe I'm right, that she wants to uh, give people a chance to think about it over the weekend, that she's open to hearing other other ideas that might be added as amendments to the bill. So here's what I find strange about that. This is certainly the most controversial bill that the legislature has taken up, I think, in many years, uh, and it is certainly that this year. You would think with all of the lobbying going on, citizen lobbyists, professional lobbyists, you'd think you'd want to get this thing rammed through as fast as possible to take the pressure off your members, and yet we're going to have another delay in this. What's going on there? I'm not sure. I'm thinking that, you know, first of all, remember, this has been all all in one week. This was from Thursday to Thursday that we saw it introduced on Crossover Day, came in really quickly, and there was a lot of talk about nobody, people not getting the chance to really talk about this. So they got their chance. I think the feeling is if this rams through too quickly, that they will really face more criticism. And I think there are some things, I frankly got the impression, that she wants to add to this bill that she hasn't had a chance to what, what's, the, what's, what's the current schedule, you think? I, I, I mean, I'm thinking a, a another committee on Tuesday. I'm thinking there's a possibility of that. I don't know if she didn't come right out and say that. I don't think so, that she said she would do that. But, um, you, you know, Sam, I remember I, I compared this in a way to the to the flag vote that, that Governor Barnes uh, uh, introduced during his uh, uh, tenure as governor. And there there was this effort. He introduced it in the House and he wanted to get it into the Senate's hands immediately. They had hoped they'd have a full Senate vote within days after the House had passed it because of just this problem, all of the pressure that builds up. And again, why wouldn't you want to do that with this bill, too, if you if you're really trying to to uh, manage the bill correctly? You know, I, I understand your concern. Um, the votes are there. Yeah. Uh, my concern's really more what, what Michael said. Uh, this is going to be the discussion in the next gubernator, in, excuse me, in the Senate election, in all the 20 elections. This bill's going to be the discussion. You saw, you saw Carol in uh, Bordeaux hold a press conference, uh, a congressional candidate in the 7th District uh, come to the Capitol to hold a press conference to denounce this state bill. Michael? Oh, absolutely. Everyone has spoken, I think, very clearly. And the, the thinkers 
the strategist of processing what this means. And part of the delay, I think, is for people, whether it's the business leaders and others, to understand the implications of it, the political, the economic, and where should we position Georgia? Uh, I think the Attorney General is right. The votes are there. But this legislature may not be representative of the state of Georgia at this point. And we are seeing that transform 15 votes in the House. This could be the bill that shifts power back to Democrats in the Georgia General Assembly. And that's what's being processed. And there is a school of thought also, though, from the right, is that unless we get it done now, we may never get another chance. Yeah. Then, then there's the national spotlight right now that we're already under as, as Georgia because of the uh, controversial election. So then here's something else major that Georgia's dealing with. Maybe I'm thinking there's a feeling let's slow it down a little bit and uh, figure out where, where we want to go on this. Yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, uh, unusual here. If, if you're a religious conservative and, you've, and, you've, and you're, you're allied with Trump, you're watching the U.S. Supreme Court turn very much in your favor— and, and you're anticipating uh, what you think might be the overturning of Roe, Roe v. Wade, and yet then you come back here down to Atlanta and you feel the ground slipping from under you. So let me, let me give a slightly different area legally. You're watching the U.S. Supreme Court decline to take many controversial cases where you would think the conservatives may now have the five votes. Chief Justice Roberts is encouraging delay on many of these cases in letting the circuit court decision stand. You also have Chief Justice Roberts siding with the liberals more and more trying to be more concerned about the credibility of the Supreme Court itself. So I would not take the position that you know what the Supreme Court would do. I think the whole issue on a bill like this may be which three-judge panel on the 11th Circuit hears it, and you won't hear that. For a long time. Sam is absolutely right regarding Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, he's been a breath of fresh air in terms of his ability to moderate, to be objective so far. And he's, I think, taken a very concerted effort not to be politicized or not to engage in the hardline partisanship that defines national politics right now. Well, yeah, I, look, I am no expert on uh, observer of the U.S. Supreme Court. As a journalist, I've never spent any time really covering them. Nevertheless, I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that Justice Roberts uh, has moved a little bit more toward the center in part because of his feeling so terribly offended, as he said publicly, at the way President Trump has tried to politicize the justice system. And it does feel as though Roberts may have moved a little toward the center because of just what Sam Olin said in, in, in his way, which is, we've got to stop the politicization of the court. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's acting on behalf of the institution in that case. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, Again, let me just one more, a couple of more uh, items here. Jim, why hasn't the business community jumped in? I raised the question. There doesn't seem to be an answer right now. This is, why does Delta Airlines, Coca-Cola, um, Georgia Power, why do these companies not want to jump in on this? Okay, well, you, you have to remember, I mean, I mean, the, uh, we used religious liberty as an example. I mean, it's been, that's been, what, a six-year fight? And, and and kind of the, the alliances and pathways and the threats are already out there s- sitting right there. In uh, with 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 in in terms of 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 abortion anti-abortion bills, it's kind of kind of like that that uh, that that pot with the uh, with the frog in it. You just turn up the heat a little bit yeah. at a time and a yeah. little bit at a time, and and it hasn't been that hasn't been a uh, a woman's access to to abortion hasn't been a, a business community issue yet. Uh, but but to, to to go back to to what Sam had said. What, what Abrams was saying uh, was Stacey Abrams was saying, look, it, with given this bill, you're going to have women in, in corporate life who are going to say, no, I don't want this. I don't want our headquarters moved to Atlanta because I won't be able to, to uh, you know, to, to govern my own body. That's that's a new fear. And it's going to take some time to penetrate, I think. All right. Um, yeah, we're missing the leadership of Governor Nathan Deal at this point in time because he was a moderating force against extreme 
social issues that were highly controversial and possibly had a negative impact on the business environment. And he's not there now. And you can see the nature of the legislation is being introduced and promoted. All right, before we leave this subject, we did have a Twitter question that I really would love to have somebody answer. Uh, Donna, maybe you can answer it for us. Um, Sam Halverson, who tweets as Sam I am too, says, <laughs> what are the repercussions if a woman does get an abortion after six weeks in this bill? Is the woman arrested or prosecuted? The doctor, you mentioned the prosecutor, can pursue the woman across state lines. Who, who is... Who is the offender in, in, in this legislation? Well, there were there were speakers who brought up all of those issues last night. The obstetricians who spoke, the medical students all worry about the fact that they will be there are some liability there for malpractice as if you have a, um, a miscarriage. Um, for instance, this whole idea that you'd be able to count the, the fetus in taxes on taxes, say that a baby is conceived in 2018 and you'd. Um, miscarry in 2019, but you'd be able to hold, um, be able to put them on their tax in your taxes. And the idea that uh, obstetricians in this state are are rare, are, are scarce, especially in the rural areas, and only about half of the counties in this state have obstetricians. Yeah. So there's the fear that about that. So there's there's a lot of fear um, about not, the unknown. Well, we, we talked about law enforcement having access to records, but I think the intention of this bill. Is it that it would be mostly self-enforcing? It would not. It would not criminalize the mother for seeking an abortion, but it would allow her, after an abortion, to pursue damages uh, against uh, against any uh, uh, clinician that uh, that performed one. All right. Let's just uh, one last comment. <laughs> no, go ahead. So you had the issue in New York, the issue in Virginia, where the Republicans were feeling really good. Because these potential bills that would permit a child born alive to be killed, mm -hmm. and now the whole discussion changes. Huge earth movement from favoring Republicans to concerning suburban mothers. Squandering an opportunity. All right. Well, um, we'll watch in the next days. And Don, as you said, you're, we're not sure when Renee Unterman is going to bring the committee together again to actually vote. We assume there will be a vote on this. It would be, be interesting to see if anybody's rethinking this over the weekend. Um, but we assume they're going to move ahead in committee and move it to the floor at some point. Yeah, and a vote in the, in the committee, move to the floor, and then when will that be? Then the, the big fear is that Sonny dies. <laughs> what will that day be like? Yeah, um, if yeah. it ends up then. Yeah, what day are we going to be in on Monday? They're off today. Do you? They're what? they're off on they're they're, they're in off? on Monday. You're talking about next week. Yeah. they're in on Monday, Thursday, and Friday. And I'm just trying to figure out what day they're in in the session. The session is scheduled in now on April second, so they've right. got right. essentially two full weeks. Right, uh, and that's. This could go to sine die, couldn't it? Who knows? <laughs> All right. Let's do this. we got a lot more to talk about, first in terms of the legislature, and then some things going on uh, up in Gwinnett County and in Washington. We'll do that after we take our first break. This is Political Rewind. You know, selling a car can be a hassle, but donating it is a whole different story. Let us take it off your hands or off your driveway and turn it into public radio and maybe even a tax deduction. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the host of Marketplace, and here is how to donate. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or donate securely online at gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. This is Ari Shapiro, host of All Things Considered. By the time you turn on our show in the afternoon, you've probably seen headlines, maybe you've read a tweet, you might have heard a newscast. So we want to tell you more than just what's happening. We want to give you reasons why things are happening, the context around what's happening. We want to tell you something that will stick with you while you're driving home or making dinner. All Things Considered. Listen every afternoon. Join us for All Things Considered this afternoon from 4 to 7 here on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. We're back in the studio with us, uh, DeKalb County CEO Michael Thurmond, uh, former state attorney general Sam Olins. Aren't you, by the way, assuming, have you, if you were still attorney general and this law is, is signed by, the bill is signed into law by uh, the governor, um, the attorney general's office would, would really get deeply engaged in the enforcement of this, I assume, yes? 
Yeah, you would assume there'd be an immediate lawsuit to challenge the constitutionality. Well, yeah, yeah. And it's the role of the attorney general to defend it. Oy. Okay, well, perhaps a reason Sam Olins is glad he's gone back into the private practice of law. Who knows? I will. I shouldn't speak for him, but I've got to wonder. Um, Donna Lowry, the uh, legislative reporter for GPB's The Lawmakers, which you see on the air every night on the GPB television network, every night that the legislature is in session, that is. And Jim Galloway, it's Monday. I mean, it's Friday, so we're glad you're here uh, with us as well. Jim, uh, what's happening with Hartsfield Airport? We've already seen it pass one body. Now it's gone on to the other, but it passed the Senate. Right. David Ralston has made it pretty clear he's not interested until somebody comes up with a pretty good reason why the state should take control. He doesn't think it's a great idea. And even more interesting, I think uh, Jan Jones, the Speaker Pro Tem, had said pretty much the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that, that kind of... Uh, that, that, that will that will uh, that will make make people pause. I think Mayor Bottoms held her state of the city speech yesterday, and um, although she said to a few interviewers she thinks this is like uh, the state going to war with the city, it was the first time in a big public setting I think that she's really expressed her feelings that the city's done a good job running the airport. Right, right. She says, "How do you best the best?" Uh, and you know, you have a lot of people who could take issue with with uh, with uh, the city of Atlanta's. Uh, history when it comes to contract procurements. Uh, but, uh, you know, its performance numbers are there. So, Donna, do we expect it's even going to get, well, it, it's it's in a committee, of course, in the right. House. Is it going to get out of committee? Is Ralston going to keep it from even coming it through a committee to rules and to the floor? It appears that way right now. When it, um, it first came out, we thought that it would, was going to move a lot faster than it has. We're also hearing that Kemp may not be interested in this either. So, And she has been quiet, and maybe that, that's why she's been quieter on this than you might expect, because um, maybe stirring it up too much will cause a problem. So she's spoken, you know, she's ta- talked to a few of us here at GPB. But hasn't really been out here that much on out there that much on yeah, it. Yeah, one thing one thing you don't want if you're the city of Atlanta, you don't want to see this bill uh, kind of used as a hostage to some other issue in order to uh, to kind of uh, force a vote. And right now, you know, the only issue I could think of that would have been like that would might have been the voting machine vote, but that's 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 gone and passed yep. and cleared yep. now. That's gone to here. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I, I don't I don't see any any trade that be, can be made where you can promise not to move this bill if you vote my way this way. Um, Mike Thurman, how do you uh, assess? We have a brand new governor, uh, Nathan Deal as governor, and and previous governors to him. We're often willing to jump in pretty quickly to say where they stood on some of the more controversial pieces of legislation uh, in the session. It's interesting that that uh, Governor Kemp has chosen to not talk about his feelings about the Hartsfield Airport case. He does seem to believe to a, an extent in the oppor- in giving the legislature an opportunity to look at things without immediate intervention. Is that a good thing or does that trouble you? Well, no. First of all, though, it's the city of Atlanta, but it's really Delta. Yeah, you don't es- underestimate the influence of the largest private employer in Georgia, if not the southeast. They have a tremendous amount of capital that they can invest at any point in time. So it's the city of Atlanta, but it's also Delta saying no, and no emphatically. And who wants to challenge that in any fundamental, in any significant way? As for Governor Kemp, I, I think he's feeling his way and uh, trying to understand the issues. And, and the thing about Governor Kemp. He closes, you know, if you think back through the election when we all wondered where he was or what he was doing, lagging in the polls, one of the things, one of his traits, if you follow him closely, uh, he closes in the end. Hmm. He makes you wonder early, but that's his strength, uh, for better or worse, and maybe he'll play out how he ministers the state in that same way that he actually campaigned. Sam, the effort for a state takeover of Hartsfield uh, by Republicans in the legislature has been going on for many years. And it was one of your uh, Cobb County residents, Earl Earhart, who really pushed hard for it during his career in the legislature. Uh, is this stop? Is this put an end to it once and for all if, in fact, the speaker decides not to bring it up? Look, if there's an indictment relating to the airport, nothing stops the bill. Because at that point, the FAA will agree to the change. 
If there isn't uh, an indictment related to the airport, it's hard to imagine what gives it the juice for the FAA to support a change. Okay, but we're not anticipating. I should be more clear. This session, you still think it has a chance if, in fact, B.J. Pack, the, uh, the the prosecutor, the federal prosecutor in this case, U.S. attorney, comes up with one, one name of someone who has directly been given a bribe to run an airport concession or something. I think it would take an indictment. Okay. All right. Well, I, the point is, that if you really read the legislation and the subtext of the legislation is, we won't do it if you negotiate with us. That takes a lot of the impetus away. You know, you, you know, it really does. Is, is it a bill to be passed and, 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 and adopted, signed into law? Or is this an effort to force the city of Atlanta, i.e. Mel Bottoms, to a negotiating table? Okay, but so, so you're right. But I sit here today agreeing with the speaker, et cetera. There's no reason for the bill. Right. You know, there hasn't been shown the proof for the state to be doing a takeover. If there's an indictment, that's a different set Damn. of facts. But short of that, it, I agree. The language in the bill, I think, is very concerning. Negotiate with us in lieu of. But I don't think that, frankly, bodes well in the House. No. And one of the better columns I read on this was, all right, who has the clean hands? I don't remember the name of the gentleman who wrote that column. No, I have no idea. Either. <laughs> <laughs> that but, Jim but, you know, just putting it just a tight bow and just capsulizing what the issue is about. How is the state in a better position to administer than the city of Atlanta or any other jurisdiction? You Um, have good people and bad people. You have ethical folk. And then in every government, you will have people who do unethical, illegal, immoral things. So let's just clarify what Sam Olin's, just in case listeners out there are saying this, wait a minute, we did just have an indictment. Uh, another indictment in the bribery cases that have been uh, the the U.S. attorney has been trying to make and has made uh, against uh, city contractors. That one, Jim, that came out just the day before the first vote in the Senate on this was a contractor who, for the most part, was not involved in airport. He certainly wasn't involved in the concession business. Right, Donna, you're nodding. That's right. He wasn't involved. in. The, so it's a, it, there's another federal indictment that's out there that, 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 that could come down that, that you were talking about there. And so that's what we're waiting to see. And whether that comes in the next, what, two weeks, two and a half weeks before the legislative legislative session ends, it was still to be seen. We so pointed, we don't. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt nope, you. that's it. We pointed out on the show the other day that B.J. Pack uh, handed out down that indictment in a very public way, as he's been doing with a news conference, mm-hmm. and then a couple of days later said, oh, I didn't realize that the legislature was debating the airport bill. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> so saith the member. <laughs> All right. Donna, uh, we just talked about it briefly, and really, it's a done deal. The uh, bill that would establish a new voting system in Georgia has now gone to the governor. It's passed both bodies. There, was, there had to be an agreement. The Senate version was somewhat different than the House version. The House agreed to the changes the Senate made. And it's on Brian Kemp's desk, and there's no reason to think he won't sign it. And no reason at all. I think he's ready to do it. It was a heavy week, to, and, and mostly focused on that. You know, Monday in the House, Wednesday in the Senate, Thursday back in the House. A lot of debate, a lot of emotions, a lot of people feeling that they're, you know, this was pushed through also. But um, I and, think and, everybody felt it was inevitable. And our, and hours before the, uh, the, the Senate vote, the Secretary of State's office finally released some cost estimates made by all the vendors that were filed in August. Yeah, we saw Stephen Fowler, uh, who's covering the legislature for GPB Radio, put him up on the GPB uh, yeah, News website. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are still rough estimates, Mike Thurman. We don't have, you know, one of the arguments here, of course, has been opponents of the computerized system that they're, they've voted to uh, to put in place. Uh, say it's going to be far more expensive than hand-marked ballots. And when the actual request for proposal, the more specific and detailed uh, request, uh, proposals come in, we'll really get a sense of that. Oh, absolutely. And, and just thinking about it, this reminds me so much of my last two, three years in the Georgia House of Representatives when the Democrats were beginning to lose control. And I see Republican 
legislators making the same mistakes we made and people are paying attention, but they can't imagine how much attention is being paid. The margin of being uh, in the majority or not is so small. And it's almost as if they are just uh, uh, oblivious to the political realities of Georgia right now. You think the public is opposed to these computerized voting machines? Well, I think they're looking at the process, who is getting the contract, was it fair, was it open? Those are the things that are weighing on the process is what Jim yeah, just talked there's about. A, there's a, uh, a provision in the bill that, uh, that allows the expenditure of $150 million, $100 million for hardware, $50 million for training. What that, what that bill doesn't contain is and was alluded to in those documents that we just mentioned was that, uh, that uh, with those touchscreen voting machines, there's going to be an annual licensing and maintenance fee by the same company. That 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 the, from from wherever that's purchased, and in and in in one estimate by one vendor, which has 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 kind of the full <coughs> position in this in in this bidding process, uh, it comes to about five point seven million dollars a year. Um, and there's a heightened sensibility and, and a sensitivity around voting right now at all levels. Hey, we were just sued this week. We be in DeKalb County and other metro counties. And I can't by discuss the ACLU. that by the ACLU. I love Miss Andrea Young, but who is running and, ACLU and I still in Georgia? Her, even though she sued me, but that's okay. <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but that's just a reality, and you have to really, really be careful because people are paying attention. Let me just uh, to clarify it so our listeners aren't in the dark. The, the lawsuit ACLU filed contends that the four largest counties in uh, in Georgia, which includes yours, DeKalb, Fulton, Cobb, Gwinnett, uh, are ill-equipped to handle large uh, numbers of voters coming out to the polls. It accounts for long, long lines at the polls in the 2018 elections, and that uh, ACLU contends can uh, suppress, lead to uh, uh, voters being unable to make their vote, to cast their ballot. And we'll see what happens with that suit. It is in federal court right now. Which I can't discuss in any detail, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, you you're, uh, you, does he call on you to represent him in this case, Owens? <laughs> I think he's I'm looking for if a he good wants lawyer. to offer a check. I mean, you know, it's a, I don't do that for free. Sam, um, I thought you were on retainer. Yeah, Sam, what? Um, we are, but not in regard to that litigation. Sam, uh, <laughs> Sam, Republicans, uh, when when. When Democrats allege that these uh, computer machines that are going to be uh, now purchased for the state are not uh, uh, invulnerable to cyber uh, uh, hacking and that sort of thing, the first thing that mostly Republicans say is, wait a minute, Kathy Cox, a Democratic Secretary of State back in the early 2000s, she was the one who got us computerized machines in the first place. This isn't partisan. You know, I think the uh, opposition to the voting bill have done a really poor job of outlining the risk. It's almost become this, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. What I haven't seen is a, is a leading presentation that outlines hmm. the problem. And for some of us old enough, we do recall Florida and we do recall Chad's and the concept that paper ballots provide no problems, I'm sorry that that, that day's passed. Right. Well, we're going to see the bill uh, signed into law. It'll be interesting because this begins a process that is going to first require, first we'll get the RFPs and see who they uh, bring in to, to purchase, to, to buy the machines from. Uh, then there's a training uh, period, Donna, where the first the, the county election people are going to need to be trained on these machines. And then voters themselves are going to have to uh, go through a process where they'll watch YouTube videos or whatever, commercials on uh, TV. Here I will talk about it on GPB radio. But this is the beginning of a process that uh, will take us right up to the first election cycle, in, in the first elections in the 2020 cycle. In 2020. And all I can think of are the wonderful little poll workers, um, the men and women in my, in my precinct, who are will be trying to figure out how, how this all works. Um, uh, bless, bless their hearts. Uh, that, that, you know, that this is something new that we'll have to, you know, there, there's it's going to be growing pains as we go through all of this. And then the other thing I wanted to point out is let's not forget there's still the... Um, 
the feds are still looking at us, that the um, Committee on Oversight and Reform sent a letter to Governor Kemp this week uh, asking for a lot of information from the past this past uh, November. So we're, we still have that, too. That's making people a little nervous yeah. about what's going on. Yeah. All right. We'll watch how that develops. Um, let's move on. Uh, Jim, there was an interesting uh, uh, announcement from the lieutenant governor, Jeff Duncan, this week, newly elected as lieutenant governor. He did it on he mentioned it on your show uh, last night. Donna, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan says uh, there ought to be term limits for the lieutenant governor. Let's listen to just a little of what he said and then talk about it. I spent two years on the campaign trail really talking about feeling like there, there was an opportunity to put a term limit on the office of lieutenant governor. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a role that I believe is, is sits in the executive branch, and I felt like it should mirror the, the rules and, and timing of, of the governor's uh, term limits of, of two consecutive terms. Constitutional amendments are typically a two-year process. The yeah. bill will be introduced this year. Uh, hopefully it will pass through the, the General Assembly next year, and then ultimately the voters will have an opportunity to vote on it uh, as to whether or not they believe it's a good idea. I hope they do. Jeff Duncan talking to uh, Scott Slade, the host of Lawmakers, last night. Uh, Sam, Michael, what do you make of this? I support it. Uh, Frankly, I support term limits for every race. Um, Local government, every race. Uh, I I think that the people that are there too long uh, cause problems because they get too comfortable in their possessions so as a general statement, I, I absolutely agree with the lieutenant governor. Yeah, you, yeah, you, you had Zell, Zell do 16 years. You had Casey Cagle do 12 in that spot. I would think that it, at a minimum, it should include all constitutional officers. Ooh, there's, a good, there's an idea right there. Yeah, that, that's, that's really uh, lieutenant governor's on the right track. Didn't go far enough. Secretary of State, State labor, labor commissioner, commissioner, all the way down. Superintendent, yeah. all the way down, should have a two-year term limit at the state level uh, for constitutional officers. You don't mean a two-year limit. You mean mean a two-term limit. A two-term limit. Was it you? There was an item in the Insider today. Did you get the call from a former legislator who pointed out? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) and and, and it got complicated. It got complicated. I I, I put that item about about Jeff Duncan asking for a a cap on on servitude by by lieutenant governors. I got a call from Wendell Willard, the the, the Sandy Springs uh, (laughs) Uh, House member. He's retired now. He retired last year. And he says, well, don't you remember that when Zell, Zell first ran in 1974, he was he was uh, he was uh, he was advocating an end to that, to the to putting an end to the no term limits. Of, just of, of, let's not have because a remember, I mean, this, this is a new this is a, a relatively new position. Yeah. It, 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 it's it's a post-World War Two position. OK, so then, OK, I put that up and then I got an immediate note from Keith Mason. Yeah. Who is chief of staff for Zell, and 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 he his 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 he he said that uh, Mr. Willard was misremembering things, <laughs> that 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 Zell just wanted to stop the 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 cat fight that had existed the, for four years before between Jimmy Carter and Lester Maddox. Jimmy Carter is governor, Lester Maddox is lieutenant governor, and he just wanted to put an end to that. It was the Republican opponent, a fellow named I think John Ch- Savage out of South Fulton, who wanted to, to end. Uh, to, to put an end to the lieutenant governorship. That was one of the most interesting catfights in recent Georgia political history, Sam, because, you know, Lester Maddox had been the most controversial governor of Georgia in decades during that period of the 60s. Uh, and uh, he came back. He couldn't run for governor. He came back and won the job of lieutenant governor and uh, made life miserable for the governor in those days. So I, I do think as they look to draft the proposed constitutional amendment of the lieutenant governor, really views his position as executive, it would be a good opportunity to put that language within the bill because you can argue legally that the lieutenant governor is both executive and legislative. And I, I like the idea. I like the bill, but I think that language should be within it. Yeah, because if he's part of the executive, then he's, uh, he's, he's exposed to the State Open Records Act. Uh, as part of the legislature, he's not. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, let's do this. Let's get our uh, final break of the show out of the way and come back and uh, pick up on a couple more issues that uh, are pressing today. Uh, this is uh, Political Rewind. Did you know that pigs can be pessimistic and that chimps can be charming? I'm Ira Flato. This week on Science Friday, we dive into the world of animal emotions with primatologist Franz DeWall and talk about what blushing says about our evolutionary past. 
Yes, animals do have feelings, like you didn't know that, right? It's all on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Today at 3 on GPB. My name is Chuck Reese. I'm the editor of an online magazine called The Bitter Southerner, and I've seen decades of misconceptions about the South from the Beverly Hillbillies on down. In our podcast with GPB, we challenge those stereotypes and paint a very different picture of the American South. You can subscribe to the Bitter Southerner podcast for free at gpb.org slash podcasts. If you're listening in real time and you live in Gwinnett County, you now have about three, four hours to cast an early ballot as to whether MARTA ought to be expanded to Gwinnett, as to whether you ought to pay a new sales tax, penny sales tax to uh, support that over the next, what, few decades, Jim Galloway? Yeah, get in your car now, because I think you only got till 5 o'clock. I think it's 5 o'clock, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, 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 the actual vote is on Tuesday, March 19th. Um, Sam Olin's... Gwinnett's watching this obviously very closely, but up in your county in Cobb, people are watching to look at what the appetite is for expanding transit. What do you think this vote's going to mean to people across Metro Atlanta beyond just uh, Gwinnett itself? If the vote passes in Gwinnett, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Cobb County. Uh, There still will not be an immediate vote in Cobb County, but it will put a lot of pressure Uh, When Charlotte Nash says that there are a lot of companies that will not come to Gwinnett without transit, she is 100% accurate. That's exactly what former Governor Deal said, too. The economic development folks hear that on a regular basis. If it fails in Gwinnett, it just means it will probably be a two-year delay. Galloway, you've got a column that people can read online right now about all this, and you, you sort of take an optimistic uh, viewpoint on this. The headline is Gwinnett's Marta vote isn't a matter of yes or no, but now or later. What does that mean to you? Well, that means that to me, that means if there's a look, uh, this 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 vote was kind of set up set up uh, at a disadvantage. It was originally thought that it would be on the November uh, 2018 ballot. It was moved to to March 19th. Uh, it's kind of an orphan date, a low turnout date. Uh, had it been been voted on in November, well, Stacey Abrams took uh, Gwinnett by fifty six percent. But okay, if you if 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 that's the case, Gwinnett is headed into Democratic territory. Demographics just say that. All right. So either you there, there are two paths that might happen. You might have uh, Charlotte Nash joining with the two Democrats on the board right now to to uh, to set up a November twenty twenty date for yet another Marta vote or. You wait until you have a fully Democratic-controlled uh, uh, governor, uh, Gwinnett County Commission. So, Michael, how many years ago did DeKalb County approve MARTA? Forty-seven years. Forty-seven years ago. Um, you all in your county have been waiting a long time for counties like Gwinnett to step up and become part of a larger system. I guess Galloway's right that another year and a half isn't a big deal, but at some point... Uh, it's got to either happen or it's not going to happen. And I hope it does. And, you know, I have to acknowledge Charlotte Nash's effort to get this done. Uh, She's laid it on the line politically and otherwise, and I'm hoping that it will to our neighbors. But uh, one of the things that we look at is the fact that it was a half a century ago. And I celebrate the mass transit pioneers in DeKalb and in Fulton who envisioned the future who look beyond the partisan politics, the race and class, and recognize what uh, Mr. Olin just said. Without mass transit, you are at a disadvantage economically. But think that 50 years ago, people were able to see that, and we're still challenged in Gwinnett and Cobb and other metro areas about making that critical decision that is not just economic, but it's also a quality of life issue. Sam, um, both you and uh, Michael have you know, complimented Charlotte Nash on the campaign she's tried to run here. But you also have pointed out she cut a good deal with Marta, and it's questionable whether she'll ever get a deal or another uh, commissioner uh, chair up there might get the kind of deal that she's got right now. now. Her negotiations with Robbie Ash were superb. He's the chair of the Marta board. He was the chair. He was the chair, and, and uh, Folden and DeKalb have been pouting 
ever oh, yeah. since they read the agreement. Pouting? <laughs> pouting? Mr. CEO, pouting might be the most positive word yeah, I could I'm use in this regard. Mad as hell. How about that? <laughs> uh, okay, the, num- the numbers. The numbers here, Bill. Uh, under, 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 the, un- under the Gwinnett Agreement, Gwinnett would pay uh, Marta twenty nine percent of 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 all the revenue that comes from that penny sales tax for operations. Right now, Fulton County and Cl- uh, Fulton, DeKalb, and Clayton pay fifty percent. Am I right? Michael, that's real yes. money. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yes. Dad, and I say it with a grimace. Mean, yes. Meanwhile, he's not pouting. He's grimacing. <laughs> At the same time that we're waiting to see what happens in Gwinnett, where it appears the margins can be very, very narrow one way or the other, the legislature is moving forward on establishing, I think, is that is that bill still moving? Rural transit. Yeah. 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 So rural transit is still moving. There's still some talk as to. Uh, where some of the money is coming from. You know, the rideshare companies um, have been kind of in and out of that bill, actually. So trying to figure out how much might come from rideshare in met- mostly metro Atlanta to help fund rural transit. On, on Thursday, uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader Michael Dugan uh, told one of our reporters that that, 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 that bill is going to have a little bit of a hard road yeah. to, to, to pass the Senate. Okay, uh, we'll watch that, too. All right, we've got very little time left. Um Yesterday, the United States Senate uh, voted on the president's emergency declaration. They voted on the resolution to uh, basically nullify the emergency declaration on spending for border security. Uh, Twelve Republicans in the Senate voted against the president. They voted for this resolution. Is anyone at this table, and we can dispose of this quickly, I imagine, because we don't have much time. No surprise that David Perdue voted for it. He's been uh, a, a, a... Sitting with the president, he, he's attached at the hip to the president on everything. Anybody at this table surprised Johnny Isaacson didn't join the uh, opposition? Uh, the Georgia delegation just got $130 million uh, uh, earmarked by the Corps of Engineers for the Port of Savannah. And it was a deal cut by Johnny Isaacson with Mick Mulvaney. Uh, in uh, in the, the it, it would be it would have been very hard for Isaacson to side with the the dissent on this one. No, see it right. That, it, it, you that know, explains it. You know what's interesting is uh, Charleston got 138 million towards their deepening, and I'm not sure the Atlanta paper covered that yet. Ooh. That's good. Well, we did good. Galloway's got the that's, first item for the insider, right? John Isaacson, <laughs> the deal cut, the deal maker, right? That was the front page of the AJC. That was top mm-hmm. of the fold. All right. Um, well, I mentioned that because uh, it's interesting that Isaacson voted with the president on that. Uh, we get the explanation from Jim Galloway. But I also mention it because Senator Johnny Isaacson will be here for Political Rewind next Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Um, so I hope you're all here for that show. And by the way, speaking of U.S. Senators, next Friday uh, at 2 o'clock, uh, Alabama Senator Doug Jones is wow. going to be on the show. So we got a lot of U.S. Senate week next oh, week wow. on Political <laughs> Rewind. Uh, again, if you're listening in real time, have a great weekend. We'll see you again Monday at 2. And uh, Jim Galloway will be back with me to take on the latest political news. Take care, everybody.